Welcome back Oscar fans, this is Jake. 30 years ago in April of 2020, um, sorry, was that only a few months ago? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in April of 2020, the Oscars announced uh, that they were consolidating the sound editing and the sound mixing categories into one sound category. And so here to talk through what this means, rejoining the OCC is Tim Muirhead. He's from the Tonebenders podcast, and he's the recent winner for the third year in a row of a Canadian Screen Award for the Best Sound in Animation. Congratulations on the award. Welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks for the congratulations there. Uh, it's great to be on the show. I love the show. It's fun. When we talked in January, you explained the difference really well, I thought, to the to the audience in terms of the sound editing versus sound mixing, which is, I guess, a question that most people won't have to have to ask anymore. Am I refreshing listeners accurately if I say that sound editing is, in essence, collecting the sounds and, and sound mixing is basically integrating them into the movie? Yeah, that's kind of the a good way of describing it. The the reality is the, one of the reasons why they merge these categories is because that's kind of the way it was, and technology has changed that a bit. So in the uh, 80s, 90s, and obviously pre previous to that, the sound was all done on what's called mag film. Editing was done on actual film instead of in a computer before the, well, I guess the mid to late 90s that started changing. So the sound was all put together on a separate stream of film that was uh, the sound was edited with to match the picture. So you had multiple streams of film going through these tables and you sunk all the sound up. So doing the volume of the sound in that process was an entirely different uh, person's job. The sound editor sunk up all the sounds, made sure they worked, layered them on top of each other, and then they went into a huge room with a mixing console and someone else pushed the volumes up and down and made everything mix together so that it sounded in a nice, uh, pleasing way to the ear, along with the music and the dialogue and everything. But since computers came into effect in the somewhat in the late 90s, but really started taking control in the early 2000s, the world of sound has changed a lot because now, while I'm editing sounds, I can easily control the volume of it as well. And uh, when you're mixing the sounds, you can easily edit them as well. Before, when you were mixing, the sounds were locked in. To move a sound was a very big process once you got to the, min the mixing stage. But now, if uh, you get to the mixing stage and you find that, oh, this sound is hitting at the same time as this big percussion hit in the music, you just kind of nudge the sound effect back a little bit and you're fine, where previously that was a major deal. So the editing and mixing used to be two different people doing two vastly different jobs on different equipment. And now it's all mostly done in Pro Tools, uh, which is a sound effects, sorry, a sound editing software and a sound mixing software. It does both. So it's, they are different skill sets, but while you're editing sound, you're also mixing, you're pushing the volumes, dropping the volumes. And while you're mixing, you're also editing, you're moving stuff around uh, to make sure that it all fits together. So the two categories have kind of merged over time. So that's why it makes sense a lot why the sound the two sound oscars have been merged into one some people in the sound world are a little upset about it but the reality is the same amount of statues will be given out so the sound editing when they were separate sound editing you used to be able to have a maximum of three people and sound mixing was a maximum of three people as well where now uh, six statues will be given out for the best sound Oscar. So the same amount of statues will go out, same amount of winners. In fact, there might be more now because a lot of times only one person would be nominated in the sound editing category, the sound supervisor, where now 
you could have the sound supervisor, uh, maybe the lead sound effects editor and the sound designer, because there's three in that category. So I know you recently interviewed Don Sylvester, who's the current title holder for his work on Ford vs. Ferrari, um, and Wiley Stateman, who's been nominated nine times overall, most recently for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think the kind of gist of that, of what you asked them about this and the gist of their answer, I think ties in really nicely to what you were just saying. And I want to ask you about it, but I'll tee it up yeah. by playing that clip here for the listeners to, to take a listen. Don talks first and then Wiley. It's a good idea, in my opinion, to have to combine the mixing and the sound editing because uh, everybody, in our, at least in my world, does both and we share responsibilities. And it's really hard to talk to somebody who hasn't worked on a film and say, look at that film, what what aspect of that film is, is the sound doing? Is it that the mix thing or is that an edit thing or is it a combination of both? And I think most times people can't tell. So... Uh, yeah, I'm lucky I'm the last guy. I broke the system, but I think it's a good move uh, to combine the uh, the award into a single one. I know Wiley doesn't agree. I don't disagree with you, um, you know, Don. I, I think that, that the awards are, are part of an industry trying to gratify itself in public. But in private, we work and we toil uh, as craftsmen doing soundtracks. And it's really each one is challenged, and and uh, as a team, you know, it's always been the supervising sound editor and the production sound mixers and the re-recording mixers, and everybody's sort of talents coming together to create a soundtrack. So this is just a gem of an interview excerpt, and I'm excited to hear the whole conversation when you post it on Tone Benders. But I think in essence, what they're discussing boils down to a really interesting question, which is, who are the Oscars for? And what you just described in your answer was, in essence, a sound editor-centric rationale, almost, for combining these awards. My read had been that this was kind of driven entirely in the service of the home audience watching the show, right? Because the question, it comes down to basically, is the, are the Oscars for the people watching at home or the people who work on the films? And it sounds like you're saying that this kind of makes sense not just from making the show shorter for the for the purposes of the tv broadcast but actually for the nature of the work that the professionals are doing is that right yeah both of those are true but there's actually a third element and that's kind of the voting the academy votes and a lot of people aren't necessarily qualified to know the difference between sound mixing and sound editing if you're in the academy because you work in the costuming department or you're an actor or a you know, a cinematographer, you might not know the intricacies of why a movie sounds good between the sound editing versus the sound mixing. So it allows the people voting on the awards to kind of just pick the movie that they thought sounded best rather than trying to figure out, did it sound great because of the mixing or the sound editing? And it also kind of cuts out the, there's a lot of talk that the best sound editing and sound mixing should be the movie that had the biggest effects in it, you know, like a, a Star Wars or an Avengers or a, some kind of movie like that, or Ford vs. Ferrari who won it last. Like, the sound is really obvious because of the added sounds in it. Best sound overall can kind of account for uh, just the, the emotions that the sound puts out throughout the movie and how effective the overall soundtrack is. And the other element we haven't talked about is on-set recording, the, the location mixer. Uh, the person who's responsible for capturing all the dialogue on set would also be getting an Oscar in this situation as well. 
since sound, Best Sound Editing expanded to a full five nominees in 2006, it's had the same winner as Best Sound Mixing eight times um, to what you're talking about. Now, as many of the branches have, I know that the Sound Branch does their own award ceremony. I think you talked about it last time, the Golden Reels. Yeah. Do you know if there are any corresponding changes to those awards this year? Well, <laughs> that gets into a deeper level because the the golden reels are for sound editing. So it's the sound motion picture yeah. sound editors. And then there's CAS, the Cinema Audio Society, which is the awards for the sound mixers. So those awards are already split up. Uh, so yeah, MPSE gives the award for best uh, sound editing overall, best sound editing for dialogue, best sound editing for music, best sound editing for sound effects. Uh, and then m the CAS awards are for uh, best mixing in various categories as well. So those awards were already split up. So it won't really affect those at all. Got it. Okay. The sound editing category um, in particular, I'd say, is, is kind of famous for having a little bit of an independent streak and, and sometimes highlighting movies that don't show up anywhere else within the Oscars. I'm thinking in recent years about A Quiet Place, Sully, 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, um, Tron Legacy, I think was a famous one. These are all films that are kind of only honored within sound and, and usually under editing. Do you think that with the consolidation of these awards that we might increasingly just kind of see the standard Oscar contenders in any given year, given that, you know, there's, there's less of these slots um, than there have been in the past? Well, I'm not fully versed on how the new awards are going to work but to my understanding and i could be wrong but to my understanding who gets nominated will still be picked by the sound uh branch it'll just uh so i don't think who gets nominated will change too much because the sound people still will get to pick who the five that go up to be nominated will be so uh it, it it will affect how the once those five films are picked, it will affect how it gets voted on by the larger Academy as a whole. But hopefully we still keep that independence because there are movies like A Quiet Place, which is a perfect example, which uh, sound is a massive plot point in that movie. Like uh, as the title implies, A Quiet Place, it the whole movie has to be super quiet. So when you do hear things, uh, it has to be very important and there's also a deaf character so her perspective within that movie we often cut to seeing things from her perspective and although she's deaf the soundtrack doesn't go silent it just changes drastically uh from her point of view so sound a quiet place was only nominated in sound editing that year it wasn't nominated for any in any other category and uh i i definitely think that would stay the same a movie that utilizes sound in its scripting stage so right from the beginning, sound is going to be very important, is a movie that sound people take great pride in. And uh, it's a kind of a rare thing. So when it happens, we all rally around it. And that movie, we were happy to rally around because it was a really great, fun movie. Did you see that movie in a theater? I did, yeah. So that movie was amazing because in a theater, it was so quiet at times that part of the soundtrack was the other people in the theater. And while I was watching it, there were points where everyone kind of held their breath at the same time. So in like just regular points in the movie where they're just kind of telling you the plot and stuff like that and people are talking, you can hear popcorn bags rustling, you know, people chewing their food, sipping from their straws, the odd cough. But then when it would cut to a moment's 
where everything went silent because they were trying to be quiet to not attract the creatures. If you haven't seen the movie, the plot revolves around alien invasion and creatures who hunt by sound. So you could be standing right in front of the creature, and as long as you weren't making a sound, it couldn't find you. So there were moments in the film where the characters in the movie had to be perfectly silent, and the people in the theater were doing the same thing. So that, that miscellaneous noise, the popcorn bag movement and all that stuff, in those moments, everything in the theater actually stopped. I actually found myself holding my breath in those moments. So I, like the, the audience became a participant. We didn't want to make a sound as much as the people in the, the in the movie. And I don't know if that happens necessarily if you're at home, you know, because the refrigerator is humming, you've got the dishwasher going in the background, your kids are running around upstairs. You don't have that same experience. But A Quiet Place was an amazing example of just perfect sound. We talked to them for my podcast, Tone Menders, the, the two sound supervisors, and they had a blast with that. They had to come up with some really innovative ways of doing things. And that is a movie that I think the sound community as a whole really stands behind. I always find silence to be the most effective deliverer of tension. Um, and, and 2020 has been sort of one long eulogy for the theater experience in exactly. many ways. And, and that's the kind of stuff that I think we all miss. Obviously, A Quiet Place 2 being um, pushed back out of 2020 now. Given that it's been a weird year and you know a lot of the stuff that we're watching is at home, it's certainly a different experience with some of these sensory elements of film. But is there any sound work uh, in 2020 that you've been really impressed by? Um, well, that's a tricky one because... There haven't been as many movies coming out. Uh, there is a movie called... Uh, the, the first big release to home streaming was Trolls 2. Now, uh, I have two small children, so that was a massive event in my house. So we watched Trolls 2, and it, it was a pretty fun movie. Now, that was mostly music. that made the, the interesting stuff in the sound was mostly musical. But the sound effects had to weave in and out of that music. So that was an interesting film. I thought they did a really good job on that. But uh, I don't think that's necessarily kind of an Oscar-baiting movie. The, the new Netflix film, The Old Guard, have you seen that one? Yeah. Yeah, that one actually has a bit of a, in the sound community, a controversial soundtrack because it was uh, rushed. And uh, the guys who did the soundtrack, from what I understand, weren't given as much time as they were told originally because Netflix wanted to get it out because nothing's coming out. So they thought if they could get this Charlize Theron movie out, they would just you know get so many views. And I think that worked. I read something ridiculous about it's their busiest movie ever, I think. But Yeah, I think so. The sound work, there's some absolutely amazing sound work, and then there's some other work that you're like, ooh, they didn't get enough time to do this section, I don't think. But the people who did that are legends, so the, I'm sure if they were given the right amount of time, it would have been uh, amazing. This is not a knock on the people who did it at all. But uh, there, there were some really cool sound elements in that movie. Um, to be honest with you, I've been in lockdown with two small children and haven't watched very many movies <laughs> because uh, by the time they go to bed, I'm exhausted and then I have to do the dishes and clean up and then start all over again the next day. So I've been in an almost like a media lockdown as well. I know a lot of people have had the opposite experience where all they've done for the last five months is watch movies because uh, their work has gone away or something. But uh, I have been lucky enough to be uh, still fully working full-time at the animation world the work all live-action work went away so all the people who do location sound their work just disappeared it didn't matter if you were uh, you know an Oscar winner who had 
many, many blockbusters under your belt, you're just starting out, the work was gone. Uh, everybody from the, the most uh, decorated person to the newbies had no work. And then in terms of audio post-production, that wasn't too bad for a little while because when you're working on post, it means it's all already been shot. So I can edit sound or mix sound pretty much in a room by myself. That wasn't a problem, but then it, you know, for the first couple months, you could keep working on the stuff that had already been shot, but then nothing's been shot. So sound post work is going to be dry for a long time because you know, we have to wait for them to shoot it before it gets to us. Uh, so there's going to be a, a big dry spot. So just finding ways to keep studios open is going to be very tricky. There's going to be a lot of people, a lot of studio closings and a lot of people out of work in the sound world in the next little while. But I've been lucky. There's two categories of sound work that weren't really affected, and that was animation and uh, game sound. And I work almost exclusively in animation right now. So we never missed a single deadline. We deliver a new episode every two weeks. And uh, lockdown happened. We moved everything to home. So did all the animators. And we caught every deadline, never missed a single one. So I've been working not from my nice studio downtown, but from a makeshift studio in my basement for five months. But uh, we've been able to hit every deadline and keep getting paid. So I'm really lucky that way. So... Thanks for that, world. <laughs> well, I'm very glad to hear that. And I, I think to your point, I mean, the kind of questions about who get nominated for Oscars and, and whatnot are, are obviously very secondary to even many people trying to to make it through kind of an unprecedented time. Um, but it will be very interesting to see how that plays out to your point with so much production paused. So there's lots of amazing sound work that is in the can. Top Gun Maverick, like I can't wait to hear that. Like that, the original movie was an innovative sound film, so uh, they have you know big shoes to fill, and I'm sure they will. That that will be really cool. And as far as I know, that's done. So we're just waiting for the theaters to open to release it. And the new uh, Nolan film, which is not off the top of my head, what is that movie called right now? Tenant. And the latest on that is that it's been pushed now. It's going to go internationally starting in almost like three weeks, and then. Apparently, they're going to try to release it in the U.S. over Labor Day. I'm not sure how that's going to go, but up in Canada, you'll be able to see it. Uh, well, we'll see about that. Can't, we're, we're not fully open here, so the theaters aren't open yet, but they might be by then. I don't know. But Tenant, I, I, there's an interesting story behind that because it was not done when lockdown happened. And uh, Richard King, who's doing the sound on that, who has won, I think, four Oscars. Uh, so he's one of the you know, the, the most respected people in the business. He was, when lockdown happened, they were just about to start mixing. Uh, and mixing a feature film, you have to do in a huge room with a huge uh, mixing board. Television, you can make uh, adjustments for, but anything that's going to be shown in a theater, you have to mix in a giant room. And uh, they were the first ones to go back into the giant studios. They, so... They, they figured out ways to keep the mixing. There's two mixers, so they separated the board so that they were far enough apart. And luckily, mixing rooms are actually uniquely qualified, I guess, for social distancing because they're huge rooms. They're the size of a theater, but with five people in them. So the director can sit on a couch 20 feet behind the mixers. The mixers can say, sit uh, 10 feet apart at the faders and kind of keep going. But they were wearing masks the whole time because this was back in, uh, I don't know, maybe May? 
or May or early June, when no one knew how the world was going to be moving forward, really. But uh, this, the industry was counting on Tenant to reopen the theaters. It was going to be, the plan was in July, Tenant's going to come back out, and that's going to announce that the world's back to normal. Uh, and I guess for some countries, that might be the case still, but I don't think for the U.S., which is a big part of their bo uh, box office, that's going to be the case. So, But drive-ins, man. Everyone, figure out a way to get some land and open a drive-in. That might be the way of the future for the next year or two. I, that's, I've just been keeping an eye on every drive-in like within three hours of driving to see when I can get tenant pre-tickets. It's going to be it's going to be competitive, I, <laughs> I expect. Um, well, this has been great. Um, I, last question, I guess, as we um, wrap up an era of separate sound editing and sound mixing Oscars, do you have any personal favorite wins or, or sound Oscar moments from the last few decades? Uh, I've got an interesting story for you. So in the early 80s, there wasn't a sound category for Oscars, so they didn't nominate five and have everyone vote. But if a movie came out that had an exceptional soundtrack, they would give a special achievement Oscar for sound. And the movie Black Stallion came out in the early 80s, and they gave that special achievement sound Oscar to Alan Splett. So Alan is, was, at the time, he did The Elephant Man. He worked with David Lynch. So David Lynch's movies were very influential for sound. And Alan Splett was the man behind them. And uh, he passed away in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, I'm not sure of the exact details of when he passed. But uh, he was given this Black Stallion Special Award, uh, Sound Achievement Oscar, and he didn't go to the ceremony. But somehow, I guess that didn't really get communicated. So they announced the award, and no one came up, and the host was Johnny Carson. And so to kind of make time, he was just like, he made a joke about how Alan Splett was stuck in traffic. Ladies and gentlemen, we just heard from Alan Splett. He missed the off-ramp at the Civic Center. And he's somewhere in Ensenada, but he's on his, his way here. And that was the same year that other people were boycotting the Oscars. So there was a few others that uh, didn't accept their awards either. I don't think Alan Splett was doing it for a political reason, but uh, he just didn't show up. And so throughout the rest of the award ceremony, it was an earlier in the, it, that award was supposed to be given out earlier. He didn't show up. So Carson made that joke. So then Marlon Brando didn't come up to get his award. And so then the joke was, well, Marlon Brando's stuck in the same traffic with Alan Splett. He's in the back seat with Alan Splett driving. And the joke kept going on and on. It always happens. First, George C. Scott doesn't show, then Marlon Brando, and now Alan Splett. Eventually, uh, everybody knew Alan Splett's name the next day, and like he was this obscure sound designer that the general public had no idea who he was, but all of a sudden his name was mixed in with all these super famous actors and such. And the, the whole award show ended with, uh, good night, now it's time to go, oh, there's Alan Splett, he just arrived, and he like kind of looking like he was off screen just walking onto the stage and it cut to the credits kind of thing. So uh, that that's kind of a legendary story among sound people. The, and Alan Splett was a sh super shy guy, that's probably why he didn't go to the awards. So the idea of having his... Uh, name being said you know not a hundred times but 20 times over the course of the oscars would have been like a soul crushing thing to him other people's might have thought it was funny but he was probably terribly ashamed and embarrassed by it all but uh i thought that was a pretty funny story in terms of sound oscars that's a great story oscars that won for sound that really stick out probably in my generation uh would be saving private ryan the opening scene where they take the beach is one of the most amazing sound 
to this day, one of the most amazing pieces of sound work that's ever been done. And in, add to that, I think it, they're both by Gary Rydstrom, uh, Jurassic Park, those dinosaur roars. Th there's never been better ones. Technology's gotten way better, and no one's done it better than they did for that movie. Th those were perfect and brought those characters to life in a way that terrified and uh, overwhelmed you. I, I don't think people who are younger, like in their 20s, understand how amazing Jurassic Park was, like the leap that it was in terms of technology. Oh, astonishing. Like the first time I saw Jurassic Park in the theater, it wasn't a little bit better than anything I'd ever seen. It was light years better. It melted your brain and the sound played a huge role in that to make those dinosaurs come to life. If you watch it with the sound down, uh, it doesn't hold up as well. Uh, so the sound kind of glued that magic together that there is actually dinosaurs walking around with humans in a realistic way. So those two movies pop out to me. I'm sure if I thought about it more, there'd be some movie that uh, also... True Grit. I don't think True Grit won the year, but that was an amazing movie for uh, Western. It's right in the title. It had to be gritty and dirty, and the sound is actually dirty in that movie in a delightful way. And I definitely assume you're mean, you mean the Coen Brothers version and not John Wayne with his... Uh... Correct. Yes. Um, yeah. Those are. I'm 43, not 83. <laughs> uh, great, great choices. And Tim, really appreciate uh, the time to come back on and, and discuss the the change. No problem. Thank you very much. It's great to be on. Anytime you need some more sound talk, let me know. Appreciate it. Cool. Take care. Okay. Bye now.